Storie Libere Presents The child needs nourishment, support, but not your help. The natural potential of the child is unknown, so there is no way of correctly helping him to attain to his natural potential. You cannot help him when the goal is unknown. All that you can do is not to interfere. Then what happened is that in two months, I had to make up for the law school year uh, because I had to give the exam of the fifth year, which is the final year of primary in, in Milan. My pride and perhaps I say to myself now also a little complicity by the teachers in the sense that I suspect there was an element of compassion in my teachers that I absolutely did not consider at that time. I mean, the incredible thing is that back then I wasn't considering myself so different. You know, I really thought of myself as a normal child that had an interesting life. But of course, today I realized that there was a kind of compassion and enormous help from my teacher from the family of the class and then just seemed to me like, what was the problem? I started. Now as a mother, I realized that probably there was a whole network of people around me helping me, but I just didn't see it back then, luckily. This is Roberta Lippi. I write for TV, radio, and the web. You are listening to Soli, a journey into the memories of children who grew up in Osho's communes between the beginning of the 70s and the first half of the 80s. In the previous episode, Camila told us what it meant for her to live in the communes, what were the good times and the bad ones. She described the difficulty of belonging to an often split family and the nightmare of having to end up in England just by herself, until the day her parents decided to bring her home and abandon the Sanyazin movement forever. From that moment on, Camilla returns to the normal world. There is no trace of Kamla, the little girl she's been for 10 years, if not in her soul. Now it's time to relate to her peers, go back to the lessons and the life they're all experiencing. I say go back because it wasn't the first time that Camilla went to a normal school, but it had always been evident to her and others before or after that her life outside of it had very little to do with that of her classmates and teachers. And it was a great problem for me because in reality, I have always done my normal schools in Milan and uh, they were, by a series of strange coincidences, always very good schools, very much the upper middle class uh, people from Milan. So this has always been great because I had an interesting schooling journey, but it was very frustrating too because obviously the teachers did not know very well how to relate to this little child who arrived perfectly speaking three languages, totally autonomous, who ask questions even impertinent to their eyes, uh, you know, about God, about death, about life, philosophy, religion. And yet even today, I do not really know how to make divisions. I still have problems with apostrophes in, it, in Italian. I have been called snobbish when I 
use English when I am actually speaking in Italian. But that's not being snobbish. That's just being ignorance. This is a very amusing misunderstanding to me. That there is a slice of television critics who thinks that I am such a pretentious poser and that I am a Milanese snob. I smile, actually I laugh, that's fine. They don't actually understand that instead those are just gaps in a culture and information of pure Italian culture. Not only because I have parents who actually are not Italian, but because I lived a life based abroad. And even when it was in Italy, it was in a commune where you spoke English and the mentality was to follow an Indian guru and you know, you could eat turmeric, lentils and curry back in the 70s and 80s. You know, we were vegan way before it came into fashion to be vegan. So I smile, you know. I'm not a pretension poser of Milanese television. But okay, what to do? I learned to turn a complex into my point of strength. Here Camilla refers to what we said at the beginning. Many Sanyasin children, strong of their diversity, have now embarked on artistic careers of great success. I ask her what she thinks of it, and also if she thinks that her career happened thanks to her past. If we want to look at the positive uh, thing of all that, is that, of course, many of us became somehow artists in, in different ways, television, cinema, writers. And that, I think, is because we were allowed to explore, to dream. We were really free to actually dare to do what we wanted and what we like. I also believe in a very concrete way, and I am in a, an extremely pragmatic woman, that there was also an element of not feeling up to or adequate enough to undertake serious careers which were made by years of study. No matter how the base with whom anyone comes out of elementary or primary school are minimal, but you can still do multiplications, divisions, you know how to combine verbs, Today I have, that's my hope and belief, acquire a property of language and dialectic thanks to the classical high school that I wanted to attend because I knew that I was at fault. So I went where I could somehow think of recovering the lost years. So in reality, in my opinion, there is also a rate of uh, not feeling able to attend university, which were, I don't know, quite normal because maybe we did not have the same cultural preparation as others kids did. In my case, there is also a sense of cultural inadequacy. And in my opinion, it is the, the case of many people uh, I know too, because we really were like a gang of street rascals from the point of view. So yes, the creative choice was a bit because we were allowed to live and explore creativity, and also a bit because it was, in a way, making a virtue out of necessity. During her adolescence, Camilla attended the classical high school Beccaria in Milan, a public and bourgeois high school, chosen not only to fill her gaps, but for another reason, to conform to her peers so different from her, and to blend in. I really wanted to be normal because this is the recoil and the normal psychological process of anyone who has experienced an extreme story. 
After it, you want to belong to the group of the majority and be as bourgeois as possible, as normal as possible. And then obviously later, like a pendulum, you understand that even that stuff there is absurd and is not viable and is above all a violence against your nature. But of course, it takes years, it takes therapy, it takes realizing the path done. And then I found my extraordinariness. We are all extraordinary. We are all unique. But let's say that I managed to transform the diversity, which could turn into a big complex for a teenager. You know, sometimes it could turn into anorexia, drugs, psychiatric issues, because people that I know with name and surname who have done my path, unfortunately, some of them ended up like that ended up prostituting themselves at 15 years old in Japan, ended up injecting heroin in the veins at 14. I know these people. So in order not to, not to end up like that, you need to find a channel where you can channel this extraordinary diversity of yours and make it your plus and not your minus. And I did it, thank God for that, and thank to a lot of luck in my career, in the sense that MTV has arrived. It's never, uh, you know, I don't believe in coincidence. You build your own fortune, and I am totally convinced that you are the making of your own destiny and fortune too. But it's not by chance that I started an extraordinary, extraordinary journey. Not that it's simply wonderful, but surely out of the ordinary that I have not made a career or that I have not chosen an ordinary job and that after 25 years, I am still here with that. Although I believe that even today, if someone does not know my past, I think I have managed to blend into a world that is the world of television and I have done it quite well for most of it. People don't realize that, but then who knows? I don't know if they can actually see something. I have remained quite faithful to myself. When, I, when they write, uh, God, what a bore, Camilla, the same smooth hair, with a line in the middle since you were born. Yes, because it's me. I know, I never say never, but maybe in two years you see me blonde, but I don't think so. Let's say that I believe that things has given me a very solid basis to know who I am, what I want, where I want to go, and therefore those are the tools that... Not everyone is given at such a young age. Camilla has therefore blended in, but she mentions the children who lost themselves. She knew them one by one. That's why she defines herself as a survivor, without fear and without hyperboles. We read it and hear it from their voices. The children of the Osho's communes had access to an adult world that was difficult to understand and metabolize. Many of them came into contact with situations they should not have or wanted to live in, and they had to deal with them despite everything. One of these aspects was undoubtedly related to sexuality. In the communes there were rooms, let's say improvised, because we were often uh, like put in, uh, to sleep in these single rooms that were divided with blankets or sheets attached to the ceiling. So you could hear adults having sex. You know, it happened to me to see them more than once or to hear them, by the way. I was told everything. I saw, felt, and knew exactly what it was happening. If you think that I lost my virginity when I was 16 years old, so actually quite late for uh, all my girlfriend lost it before me, uh, you know, if you compare to my friend, but surely sex was a topic present in the commune. 
I then had an episode, an accident of sexual abuse uh, by a friend of my father. So we were always in the context of the commune. It happened in one of those houses they gave, like rich family donate to the commune. It was in Paraggi, Portofino. It was actually a very big villa. I was very close to his son. Of course, I was totally in love with him. I was eight, so, and this kid was 10 years old. So uh, we would have perhaps uh, the right to exchange, but unfortunately it was not with him the exchange because we were obviously too small. But in fact, it was his father who decided that it was time to masturbate a girl of eight years old. And I did not understand. I did not understand what was going on. So I said to myself, what the fuck is he doing? I remember his finger. It was burning, it was really hot, it was really big. I didn't understand, but again, I understood that it was better not to tell that he had done something anyway. And above all, I had the lucidity to understand that if I told my mother, because she was not there, my mother could and would have killed him. So, you know, I would have literally taken his life. So I was afraid that my mom would end up in prison to protect me. I knew her, she had a very hot temper. So. I said better to shut up because otherwise my mom would have killed him. Then the police come and takes my mom and puts her into prison. Uh, you know, I was eight years old, no? And you know how the mind of a child can work when, you know, when they suffer an abuse. It's my fault. Somehow, I don't know why, but it's my fault. So shut up, shut up. I was afraid that someone had seen it and somehow it was my fault, so I did not tell anybody. But apart from that accident, I really think that he was mentally ill. But there, was, there are pedophiles outside and inside such a commune. I must say that although I knew that sex was a very present thing that was discussed in very open way and despite the fact that I, that I saw people making love in the commune, personally, I have not accelerated the times of sex because of the commune. I had a very free and very open conception of what sex was, but also I was very, very clear on what love was. So of course I gave my first kiss when I was nine years old. I don't remember with the tongue or not, but anyway, maybe that was a bit early. And I might say that perhaps from that episode, but in short, I started masturbation when I was actually very young, but. But in fact, apart from the kiss at nine years old, I lost my virginity at 16. So yeah, it was my boyfriend in school in Milan, very normal. Maybe that's because we were looking for normality. It is Camilla herself who tells me about the abuse, but she dispels the doubt that the cause was the extreme freedom given to the participants of the communes. After all, as Satish also said, a pedophile is a pedophile, inside or outside the commune. Anyway, apart from this episode that happened to me, in this case of pedophilia and of an abuse, I believe, unfortunately, that these things happen everywhere, in and outside community. We see this happening in families, we see this happening in the church, in high school, in school. I didn't feel well. But unfortunately, I think that pedophilia is an existing disease in the human being, especially male, of course. And so that has gone wrong. It is a matter of numbers. But I have not heard of girls who were friends of mine who were abused 
or who have practiced sex at a particularly young age, except the ones I was talking about before who were lost on the streets of Japan, you know, into drugs, into prostitution when they were 14 and 50 years, 15 years old. But this was their choice. But apart from that, I cannot say that there was a choice dictated by initiation of the adults. It was a choice dictated because they have been left too much alone too early. How can I tell you, I was lucky enough to find my family after the commune. Many of them were not so lucky. So when you are left alone, you know, and they tell you, come to Japan, uh, they call, you know, they, they, they call you hostess and you can earn up to $30,000 per month. You know, some of my friends went there. Uh, I knew them very well and they started a new life over there. I have no idea what had happened to them afterwards, but... It wasn't so much an imitation of the parents as a sense of abandonment and freedom and sense of power. It is, we were giving everything. The world was ours and we could do what we wanted. I chose to jump on the study and return to a normal life. Some have chosen to return to Goa uh, and be consumed by drugs until death. Others have uh, chosen to earn a lot of money at 15 years old and, you know, to be able to make a very comfortable life selling their own body. There is no judgment about this. It's just what, what happened. It is very difficult to even comment on everything Camilla is telling me. It arrives like a stream of thought that seems to naturally flow through her. This too must be the result of that custom of looking inside oneself, feeling everything, going through everything, taking note of it and starting again every time. Going back to summing up what she's gone through, the diversity lived and the normality pursued, Camilla compares what her daughters live today and what she has lived, a comparison which immediately makes us understand what that experience deeply meant for her. And we had skills, which I now see in my daughters being a mother, in the sense that I see that they don't have them. So I realize that now Viola, that is 10 and a half, and if I put her on a plane tomorrow and say, bye, see you in four months, you go to England in a community, I would find it very hard to think that she would have that autonomy, that smartness. That is to say that at the age of 10, we had street cunning that allow us to survive and that today, unfortunately, I only see it in extreme horrible situation, like in refugees' children. Only that, such an experience, that is so dramatic. And when I see their photos, when I see their videos, with the difference that we were privileged middle-class children who had privileged experience anyway, and these are desperate homeless, but it's a paradox. But the emotional result is not so different. So I'm sure that if you take a nine-year-old Syrian refugee, now I'm talking Syria, but just to simplify, and compare him to my nine-year-old daughter, he'll be totally above of my poor, spoiled Milanese girls with her beautiful house and who goes to a private school. And as, and as long as uh, I am a mother, I, I really try not to spoil them and make life as difficult as possible without realizing I give her the comforts that other child does not have, that I don't have, that I didn't have. And therefore, it's obvious 
that then you find yourself with a street baggage of wisdom, culture, and emotional intelligence that the normal child, and I speak of my daughters, do not possess. It seems like a risky comparison, but you have to make the effort and put yourself in the situation. To get into the heads of those children, often left alone, without any guidance, ready to be told by adults at any time that from one day to the next, everything would change. Children who had nothing of their own, who listened to dozens of incomprehensible languages, had very few references and almost no rules, except for the most restrictive ones. Today they call them skinless children, precisely because I was taught to feel life. Only now I realize that I had been like that. Only that I have a vital need that was to Judas, as we say in Italian, that is to face life and to put on the armor from a very young age and to survive. So when that's the need, that fact that you are a sensitive child, fuck it. You put on the armor and you leave where you have to. And you change commune and countries and change languages, change your friends, change your school. And that means that you don't have the space and time to explore your sensitivity or your sensibility as we do now with these children who instead are listened to, they are heard, they are cuddled. Rightly so, of course, huh? In the 70s, they kicked your ass, which meant that, uh, you know, if you were a very sensitive child with a high potential, well, fuck it. You learn to implement strategies so that sensitivities and sensibilities does not hinder in your social life. Today at 40, I'm coming out on that and I'm learning instead to respect this side of me, so sensitive, so sensible, and that with uh, pregnancies, it broke out with uh, you know becoming a mother. Finally, I let this part of my soul out because I was really amazed. People have a concept of me, and I know the names they gave me, you know, they call me Caterpillar. Oh, they say Camilla is a tractor, she's a war machine. And if I think about it, there is not one element f further away from my nature than these very elements by whom I'm, I am described today. But I realize that the strategies that I have learned to implement in order to survive that thing and in, to impose myself in a world and survive where exactly the extreme, namely to protect and defend this great heart and this soul which felt everything because I was taught this, feel everything, feel the other, feel the world, feel nature, and yes, then you bloody feel, but feel that you do not have a house too, and all the dark part of that life then of course you become a tank, a caterpillar, a war machine. You pass over everything to get your goal. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Because you learn that there is no room for second ones. So you have to be first. I couldn't allow myself not to excel. Not with my past. And in my opinion, this is a very common in Sanya's children. The sense of compensation. This is what Camilla feels most deeply when she lands, as from a distant planet, back 
to planet Earth. And she has to deal with that reality that until then had been out there and where we must try to return by all means. And one has to return to it in the right way. There are also cases instead of, well, failures is a word I don't like, but there are people who lost themselves in the street. But let's say that in my case, I speak for myself. I had no choice but to excel. I wasn't allowed to. I didn't have the luxury of knowing that my family was behind me. There were no houses. There was nothing. There, were, there was no family. There was no family connection either. Not only because my family was not Italian. I realized that for my daughters, I created a very different network that I did not have. Because my parents did not have it, and that gives you a practical insecurity. So you have a fire in the eyes, the cazzimma, we, we say in Italian, to be bloody tough, you know, the eye of the tiger, call it whatever you want, something that those who are not in these extreme situations cannot know and cannot understand. The constant emigration that was continued for all the first 10 years of my life you know, then good luck with your Beccaria high school and to pretend to be Milanese and to try to make your own connections. I understand, but these were 15 years old. What help could they give me? When I was 19, I started my career in MTV in London, earning a lot of money for a 19-year-old, you know, uh, but I had no other choices, so I got lucky. But I was searching it very hard and I created the condition to work my ass off. When you have no alternative and you are hungry, not hungry of bread, hungry for life. And I have to say that the stuff there, maybe it's also a peculiarity of mine, has not faded. Today, when I look at my bank account, except that I always say, sadly, I don't know how the fuck I have not become rich yet. <laughs> I know perfectly well that I am a great privilege, but that is not enough for me. I can't stop because I don't know when thing will end. How long will it last? My life is always made, you know, of cycles. Uh, they begin and they end. I lived in a commune in a beautiful villa of the 700 of the 18th century with an inner riding school and uh, a fresco on the wall on the, uh, you know, four, three years I was sleeping guest on the sofas uh, of my mom and dad's friend uh, or, or former community people or classmates. So I had to turn the humiliation of that stuff into a, Look how I am cool because I am different from you. But I have implemented a self-analysis and self-therapy from 10 to 13 years that is not so obvious. Uh, but it's not just uh, me. It's all of us. We all have sought resources that today a 10 years old child should not accept, as I repeat, if he's a refugee. I see in their eyes that stuff of transforming, transforming the humiliation of their situation in strength, in creativity instead. Camila gives me the example of some Syrian musicians she met and heard play. Looking at them, she's certainly seen in them that same spirit of which she speaks about, and which she's relied on to build her current self. These Syrian musicians are far above our ordinary musicians of the Italian orchestra because it is so, because they have a talent, a hunger, and a need to do and to be better than others. That with all 
due respect uh, to the boy who made the conservatory in Milan, who is also very, very good, no, no doubt about that, huh? but it's not that he should be respected less, but he does lack something indeed. He lacks life of not coming through the horror of losing everything, of war, of blood, of losing the family. Say whatever you want, it's a different life. Maybe the result can be the same, but the eyes tell you a different story. They are a bit richer. But as Camila rightly says, she had to go through the pain of separation and the family diaspora, not out of necessity, not because of the war, but simply because her parents had decided that it should be so. At the very moment when the family was united, it was voluntarily decided to become part of an experiment that will tear it apart. How does she relate to that decision today? The anger towards my parents and the lack of understanding came when I became a mother. So much so that I wrote the book, I would do it again, while my analyst told me <laughs> that I should actually write, I wouldn't do it again, which in fact I did now. There is a new chapter in the book that is called, I would not do it again, with the motivations. Because anyway, until I became a mother, um, there were the things that I didn't really accept, you know, I didn't understand. And then I faced my mother. But when I was 35, you know, kind of too late. No, until then I was very sympathetic towards them because, you know, uh, you also realize of having been lucky to have had a different life, kind of cool. In the end, you speak many languages, lots of experience, you know people all over the world. Um, and who knows, probably, you know, I got the MTV job also thanks to all those experiences for the extra things because I had uh, a background that MTV was looking for, right? Who knows? We talked a lot, and it's really difficult to take a step back after having access to the most intimate thoughts and memories of a person. But we haven't talked about him yet. The creator of Camila's fate, the spark from which everything started, Osho. Yeah, I had the good fortune to know him. Uh, he gave me the mala in the sense that after uh, it arrived actually via mail, uh, but then I was five or six years old when I went to India. I lived there uh, and actually he did the initiation, the darshan. I remember that there were only a few of us at uh, Pune and Osho, you know, he knew our name. He called us by our name. He knew us. So when he took uh, his walk through the ashram before the Rolls Royce and the weapons and the crowd bath in the car like a Hollywood star, uh, all of that happened then in the ranch in Oregon in the U.S., he actually walked to Puna 1 from his apartment to the Buddha Hall uh, all through the gardens and uh, he could uh, see us. We could stop him. He would talk to us, greet him. For me, it was like maybe today is for my daughters towards the teacher, the person for whom you have a sort of extra respect because uh, he teaches you things. But he was not kind of like a, you know, like a god or like a guru. He was just a wise old man, a teacher, a grandfather with a long white beard. He was bizarre. Uh, he was nice and wicked to us. For me, he was very accessible, so he was the old wise man in the commune. Uh, I knew that he was the boss, but he was 
a super accessible boss, yes. We were a few, it was another life than it became later in the ranch. I remember when we spoke in the evening that I fell asleep when he used to give the uh, darshan in the evening. It was wonderful for me. Uh, we could go uh, every evening, it was the evening lecture, and if uh, we didn't play outside, if my mother took me uh, to the lecture with her, I'd fall asleep. Uh, that is to say, his voice was like a lullaby for me. I have this memory of this voice, which cradled me in, into the night. Camila hasn't been a sannyasin for a long time, but that experience has certainly created the foundation of the person she is. I'm curious to know what she thinks of those who resist, who are still sannyasin today. One of the wonderful things that kind of past and that kind of education has given to me is the non-judgment. I do not express a lot of judgment for the choices of other people because they will have their reason. I uh, sometimes find it difficult to understand choices or attitudes, but let's say that I find it harder to accept fascism, Nazism, racism today than someone, shit, who doesn't hurt anybody, you know? It's not longer my choice, it's not longer my life, it's not longer my way, but for me it was a close chapter. Now I practice yoga anyway, I meditate when I can. So evidently the seeds has endured. Anyway, I try to teach my daughters the path of awareness is a path from which you can rarely go back because you cannot simply just deny it. I simply use different tools today. I put everything together, but I wish there were more sannyasin in the world. After all, they practice good, peace, love, self-awareness, therapy. They eat vegetarian, they don't hurt. So I have no judgment on that. I have it on those who practice hatred, war. Then at this moment, there is this religion of fear, this policy of fear, which makes me much more afraid than who has chosen to continue doing dynamics in the morning and Kundalini in the evening. Who does it hurt? Okay, but thanks, not for me. I have already done it. Today, the Sanyazin community is divided when it comes to assessing the opportunity to allow access to children. Surely Osho sent contradictory signals to his disciples. On one hand, he recalled how children are naturally predisposed to closeness to the deeper self. But on the other, he often pointed out how the younger ones could be distracting for adults who tried to concentrate on meditation and the quest for true self. For example, Osho recommended sterilization to his followers, especially those in prominent roles. There are known cases where the master strongly advised some women to have an abortion. There are many people who have followed these directions, and some were still adolescents. Today, almost all sannyasin centers have strict rules concerning children. They have become aware that many children have endured difficult experiences, perceived abandonment, experienced trauma, suffered abuse. They know that many children accuse their parents of not having wanted them, of not having been there, of putting them in confusing situations and without rules. The commune did not take care of the children, 
As Osho said, the commune was committed to meditating and building itself. It took care of everything except the children. The children were a hindrance. The children were sent to Medina and ghettoized to get them out of the way. Today, there is only one center that welcomes children as it was in Pune, in Nepal, in Topoban. Pune's ashram has become the Osho Meditation Resort and is pretty explicit on this topic. From experience, we know that parents who come to Pune together with their children, aged 0 to 18 years old, often find it difficult to deal with the situation of giving priority to the child and immersing themselves in the meditation programs for their own growth at the same time. Osho Meditation Resort is an environment for adults. It does not have adequate facilities for children and minors. In the context of children and parents, the resort may be described as an adult education facility. Attending meditations and courses in the resort with a simultaneous responsibility for a child or a teenager is difficult. The ideal situation is to come on your own, without children. Then, the few days, weeks or months you have available can be poured into your work on yourself and you will get the most out of your stay. This, in turn, will benefit your children too. Of course, this should be asked to those very children. No one can answer about the benefits they will get. No one, only them. This is Roberta Lippi, and I look forward to having you back for the next episode of Soli, here on storielibere.fm. The international version of Soli has been translated by Edoardo Rialti. The international voice of Roberta Lippi is Cecilia Gragnani. Storie Libere Production by Gianandrea Cerone and Rossana De Michele. Editorial Supervisor Guido Guenci and Chiara Tagliaferri. Post and Sound Design Era Zero.